It is something, as a preacher, as a pastor, when I get up here and take a look out at all of you, and I see your faces, and I see your demeanor, see what you're doing, see what you're not doing. You're hot, you're fanning yourselves, and I understand I just turned the fan on underneath me. But Jeff's removed his jacket. Some of you are making memories. Brother Bobby is holding his great-granddaughter. We're glad of that. I hope what you've come today is to hear from the Lord. I will tell you, I've come for the purpose of trying to proclaim to you His Word. But not that I would do it, but that I might be able to submit myself to Him that the things that you would hear today would not be heard by reason of man and his wisdom and my ideas, but instead that the Lord would anoint the things that are spoken, that they be anointed and directed to your heart. And so I pray that you would have ears to hear today. As Scripture so often said, as Jesus so often said, ears to hear what thus saith not Derek, but ears to hear what thus saith the Lord. Pray for me. There are times when I prepare for a message and I'm reasonably certain of what I'm preaching on and the purpose and the Lord's leadership in that. And then there are times when I have absolute certainty. And that is one of the occasions that I have today. 1.22 a.m. Thursday morning, I was awoken from sleep with Scripture on my heart that I couldn't shake loose. The Lord worked on that and developed in that. And I am certain of the things that He has to speak to us today. Uh, We'll get to that verse of Scripture in just a second. Before we do, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Just one one verse I want to read to you um, as we set some of this uh, groundwork here today. I want to speak to you today on conviction. I preached back in January up at Bethel on the subject of conviction. That was directed towards the lost. I want you to know that if you are lost today, and what I mean by that, if you are separated from God, you've never been saved, you have never had an experience where God has saved you, where you know that you've been saved by God's grace. We call it a time and place. If you don't have a time and place where God has given you peace, I want you to know you're lost. And if you are lost and separated from God, I pray that He would convict you of that reality, that He would convict you of your sins. And what I mean by that word convict is that you would become convinced that you are lost and separated from God and that the Holy Spirit of God, that God Himself, would be the one to convince you of that. If you're going to be saved by God's grace, you must first be convinced that you need saving. And it is the Holy Spirit that does the work of conviction in the heart of a man that leads unto contrition, that is a brokenness before God, that when God is able to answer and respond to the broken heart of the sinner, that is where salvation is found. And so today, if you are lost and separated from God, I want you to know that uh, I pray for conviction for you. But I believe that conviction doesn't stop at salvation. 
but instead that there should remain upon the heart of a believer a conviction about the Lord. I don't know about you, but I am convinced about what the Lord did for me in November of 1995. 1995. I don't know why I said 1995. I'm not like an old person. 1995. I'm convinced about it. Something happened that day in the back passenger side seat of that Buick Skylark. Somebody sent me a picture of that, of that Buick Skylark a couple of weeks ago. I forget if it was Sister Brianna or who sent me that picture, but it was a sight for me to see. For it was in that place that God saved me and He spoke peace to my heart. And I'm so convinced about it that I am certain that it is my hope for heaven. That I remain as convinced about that as I ever have. And as a result of that conviction that I have of what God did for me, I remain then convinced about what He's able to do for you. And as a result of my conviction, I desire to seek to walk more closely with the Lord, to engage in His Scriptures, to engage in service unto God. It is a conviction that has not left me. I am convinced about who God is. And I don't mind telling you that. People would say, well, Derek, how can you be sure? I am convinced of this because of what the Scriptures tell me. And I'm convinced of it because of my experience I've had with God aligns with what His Word says. And those two things, then, in harmony, bring to me a conviction that compels me to serve the Lord all the time. I'm compelled this morning to be here, not by obligation to faith church. I'm compelled to be here this morning because God has convinced me in my heart and He has called me for His purpose. So I'm here by a conviction to preach to you the things that God has led me to preach. Why are you here? I hope you're here because there is a similar conviction in your heart. Where God has convinced you of your salvation, He has convinced you, and you have a conviction that aligns with His Word to follow Him, and to be in church, and to serve after the Lord as He has desired for you to serve Him. God's people should be a people of conviction. I want to tell you this. If you're not convinced about what the Lord's done for you, nobody else is going to be convinced about it either. Imagine if I got up here and I preached. I said, well, you know, here's what I think. I think this is what God said. And, yeah, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should. It's up to you. What would be the, the usefulness of that? You know what Scripture says about somebody who's that way? It says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Instead, God's people, if God has truly and surely saved you, where you have that time and that place where God has saved you from your sins. He's given you a peace. He has set you apart from, from sin and the rest of this world. You are one of His. There should be a conviction that remains upon you to live for His glory. How many of you today are convinced you're going to heaven? I am. If you're so convinced that you're going to heaven, that should influence everything you're doing while you're going there. So what, what about that then? What about this subject of conviction? One verse, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
Another translation, the CSB says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. One other place I want to read in Scripture. This is the verse that woke me up out of sleep the other night. Psalm number 127. Psalm number 127. One verse here from Psalm 127. I want you to know this psalm is, is a little bit unique in that it is not a psalm of David. This is a psalm that Solomon wrote. So the same person who wrote that proverb that I just read, where we read to watch over your heart with all diligence, to, to guard your heart, to keep your heart above all else, he wrote this song as well. And I just want to read the first verse from this song. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We have here two parallel instructions given by Solomon. Now Solomon, I want you to just know very briefly about him. From what we understand in Scripture, outside of Jesus Christ, he is the most wise man that has ever lived. He had his own sins. He had his own struggles. You can read and know them well. But he was a man that God blessed with much wisdom. And so when we see and we read these proverbs, we read the first verse of this song, I want that to weigh upon your heart that he's writing these things based on the wisdom that God has given him and underneath the inspiration of God. So God is writing and he is saying to us these words of wisdom to keep and to guard your heart above anything else and that except the Lord would build the house, those that would labor to build it are laboring in vain. So let's, let's look at these independently for a second. It says to guard your heart above all else. When it comes to spiritual things, and you've heard me say this before, when it comes to spiritual things, the interest is of your heart. You've heard me teach many times on Wednesday nights about the issues that Jesus would be dealing with and He'd be talking to a group of people and they wouldn't be getting it. And the reason why is they'd be taking and hearing what Jesus was instructing them in. They'd be trying to apply it to, to some worldly realm, but they missed that Jesus was talking about their heart. Listen to me today, my friend. God is interested in your heart. And the reason why is what the proverb writer told us in that Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. For out of the heart flow all the issues, all the matters of life come from the heart. Now this word heart, we, we have, I think sometimes wrestle with this a little bit. Because we think of our heart and we know we have a muscle that we refer to as our heart that, that moves the blood throughout our body. But when we see this word heart here given in Scripture, it's talking about the seat of, of our conscience. But the seat of our reasoning, the seat of our understanding, where within us we are able to make all the decisions we make, all the things that we think, all the actions we have, what we, all the judgments we make about each other, all the judgments we make about life, that seat, that root, that, that heart is what the proverb writer is talking about. And he says to guard your heart above anything else. He says this is the first thing. Protect your heart. Guard it and keep it. And he wrote in this song that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. We must stay constantly on guard 
about what is entering into our heart. Have you heard that little rhyme before? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. There is truth in that statement. There is truth in that little poem that is given. And it should be a reality for us. That we guard our hearts. We're careful about what is entering into our hearts. Now, some of you would say that what you see and what you hear, you're able to keep it from entering into your heart, so you're able to engage in those things and not worry about it. And I want you to know that you're simply incorrect. When you say that, you are lying to yourself. All of us, listen, if you surround yourself with garbage all the time, you're going to become garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. If you just surround yourselves with, with, with activities and people and, and media and songs and television shows and all these things that are just preaching the filth of worldliness, it's going to get into your heart. And so we're to guard it above anything else. To protect ourselves above anything else. The things we hear, say, and do and see, they all impact our hearts. And if you're not careful, you'll let it be corrupted. Except the Lord built the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord is your principal priority, you will fail in guarding your heart. Unless the Lord has preeminence in your life, you will fall short of keeping watch over your heart. You will drop your guard. You will let your guard down. You will say, well, it's just a, a little bit of sin. It's just a, a little bit of involvement in worldliness. So I don't have to worry about this. Let me read for you just a second. I, I, I looked this up last night just because I was curious about this. and Because and, and, I know what it is, but I wanted to hear how somebody defined it. And so I looked up how Noah Webster, back in 1828, how he defined the word worldliness. When I say worldliness, I think all of you have an idea of what that means. But listen to how Noah Webster defined this. Worldliness. A predominant passion. Predominant, meaning above anything else. A passion for obtaining the good things of this life. Covetousness. Addictedness to gain and temporal or temporary enjoyments. Did you hear that? That altogether is different than how I think we normally think about worldliness. I think we hear worldliness when we just think about the filth of the world. That's not what Noah saw when he defined the word worldliness. He called about a predominant passion for obtaining the good things of this life. Of a covetousness, addicted to gain and temporary enjoyments. Compare this, contrast this to what we see of our forefathers in the Scriptures about how they exercise their faith. Looking over in Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith that we see the Hebrew writer uh, being able to, to record for us. Being at verse 13, says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Listen to verse 15. And truly, 
if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Do you hear what it said in that verse 15? He said if they've been mindful of what they came out of, they probably would have returned to it. And so are we. God has called us out of the passions of this world. He has called us out of, of this life that we would otherwise find ourselves involved in. And He has called us away from those things. But if we are mindful of them, we will return to that country from which we've been brought out, wherein we seek one that is far better. Listen, we remain pilgrims and sojourners and strangers here in this life. You ever met somebody that when you start talking about things of the Lord, they just, they just can't quite get it? Listen, there's people in my life that they just don't quite get me. I have a group of friends, and they get together for dinner sometimes, and and they're probably how I would describe them. They're kind of worldly guys, and and, and so they'll get together and they'll be going to to Chili's, and like people do, they get to Chili's, and there might be a long wait, and so they'll say, "Yeah, we'll sit in the bar," and so I get there to meet them for dinner, and, and this is a true story that happened a few months back. And I get there to meet them for dinner, and they're sitting in the bar, and I walk in, I said, "Sorry, guys, I got to go. I, I'm not going to allow myself to sit over here." Didn't understand that a bit. Well, what's the big deal about that? And I said, you don't understand. I'm interested in guarding my heart. I'm interested in being on guard all the time. And you might say, well, Derek, surely you're strong enough to sit over here and not be engaged in this stuff. Yeah, I probably am, but I'm not about to find out. You see the difference? We are to be on guard all the time. And if we are not, we will, if we're mindful of this world from which we've been called out, we've been separated from it, we've been called out of darkness and called into the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we are distinct and we are separate. But if we are mindful of that which we've been called from, we'll return to it. So just shun it. Avoid it. Stay away from it. And our help in doing this it is by the Lord. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, this psalm is, is talking about the intentions of our heart, about the purposes of our heart. Anything that we set about to do has an, an intention to it, an intention, has a purpose to it. Even those things that you do just on accident or just by routine of your life that you can kind of do just by muscle memory. I took out the trash this morning. wasn't a big deal. didn't hardly think about it, but there was a purpose to it. I took the trash out because if I didn't, it was going to smell when I got home. Something I needed to do. Everything we do has a purpose and an intent to it. Whether you realize it or not, young people, I, I want you to know that. Because, man, I've seen young people, they just get themselves in trouble by accident. They wander into it. Listen, the the life of of God's people should be a life of intentionality. A life that has purpose to it. And our purpose should be to the glory of the Lord. This is a New Testament teaching. Paul told the Colossians that whatever they do, whether they eat, whether they sleep, whether they drink, that whatever they do, that all things should be done to the glory of the Lord. There is a purpose for the life of the believer. And it is for the glory of the Lord. And for the believer, the meaning of life is established in the Lord. Do you know there's meaning in life? 
Listen, the world today is seeking meaning in life. What are we here for? What's the purpose of what we're doing? And Christians are able to present to them such a valuable answer. I know the reason that I was born. I know the purpose for which I've been made alive and and exist today. I was made in the image and likeness of God. I've been created for His glory. And He has saved me gloriously and wonderfully and by His grace. And He has purpose for me then to serve Him all the days of my life. That is the purpose for my life. That is the meaning of my life. And I want you to know it's a good life. It's a good life when there is that purpose and there is that meaning. But for those, for for the believer to establish themselves in anything else but the Lord, their life will be met with vanity. Reggie and I were talking about grilling a little bit. So I'm going to use a grilling analogy in this. If you establish your life in anything but the Lord, there's just no meat on that bone. There's nothing there for you. It's emptiness. It will be fraught with all sorts of trouble. Yeah, you might enjoy it for a season. But there will be trouble and challenges that you will just not be able to escape. You'll find no peace in it. But if you establish your life in the Lord, yeah, there will still be challenges. But you'll find joy and peace every step of the way. I heard one old preacher say it this way. He said, if God is in the bush, any old bush will do. Whatever the purposes God has for your life, if you root and establish yourself in walking with Him, you will find meaning and purpose to your life. We have two high school graduates with us today. Sister Haley and Sister Olivia. Love you guys. I want you to know the meaning and purpose for your life from from here on out is to be for the glory of the Lord. We have some older folks with us today. (laughs) Same thing for you. No matter where you're at in life, the meaning and the purpose for the believer is the same. And it's for the glory of the Lord. So so, so Solomon has given us these two points of instruction. Where where do these things then intersect? There's a couple of play, couple of people in Scripture in particular that, that I want to talk to you about that we see being used of God. And the, the people in particular that we're going to talk about, that they're, they're being used by God through their words. And I think sometimes as a result of that, we kind of just isolate them and say, well, that's just a lesson for the preacher. But I believe that the lessons that we read from, from, from these brothers is not just a lesson for the preacher, but it's a lesson for all of us. The first person I want to talk about is Jeremiah. We read about Jeremiah. We read in his prophecy a a background about him, kind of an account, a a biography of his life. We see the things that he did. He was a a prophet who who was was troubled a lot. We refer to him sometimes as the lamenting prophet. He was one who was troubled and, and, and had different sufferings of life. He mourned over situations. We read in the first chapter of Jeremiah's prophecy about how God knew him before he was ever formed in his mother's womb and had purpose for him and had called him to be a prophet. We see later on in the the book of Jeremiah about how Jeremiah had been troubled. He had been uh, kind of mocked for the things that he was saying and he had been reproached about what he was doing. And so he was praying and just complaining unto the Lord. But he said that although he'd been mocked and he'd been reproached for the things that he was doing and saying and preaching and prophesying, he said, nevertheless, though he would quit, 
Now, as though he would quit, he said this, nevertheless, the word of the Lord was in his heart as a burning fire shut up in his bones. Jeremiah had a purpose for which he had been born. He had a purpose in his life. He had a meaning in his life. And it was to prophesy as the Lord had commanded. It was to, to preach as it would be in that day. And he said if he did not preach, if he did not prophesy, it was as though the word of the Lord was burning in his heart, burning in his bones. He had a conviction that he must preach, that he must prophesy as the Lord had called him to prophesy. There was something within him, within his heart, that was purposed for the Lord. Now I want to tell you about somebody else. Elihu. This was one of Job's friends. You'll read about this over in the book of Job. Elihu was, was one of the later friends that had came to him, and, and he was beginning to speak to Job. And he was going to be speaking some things, some, some encouragement to him, some reproof to him. But as he began to speak these things, he said that his, his heart was, was full of the matter. That, that he had words within his heart that he was just full of. He was full of words and the spirit within him had constrained him. Elihu was saying to Job, he was saying, I have had these things on my heart that I have held back from saying. He said, I am full of them. And I can no longer hold back. He said he felt like wine without a vent. Like wine in a new wineskin that was about to burst. Some of you have had a, a feeling like this before. Some of you have been in these shoes. I've heard you testify where you stood up and you said that your heart was about to beat out of your chest. You had a conviction in your heart at that moment where the Lord was dealing with you and moving you to testify or to sing or whatever it was that you were going to be doing. You had a purpose in your heart that came upon you and you couldn't quite contain that. Anybody had those experiences before? Me and like three people, that's it. I don't believe you. You've had those experiences. The Lord's welled up in your heart and you just couldn't quite contain it. Elihu was telling Job that's what he was, what was going on in his heart. There was a purpose in his heart that he could not constrain. There was a conviction that had fell upon him. And we need more of this same conviction. We need more of this same purpose to fall upon the hearts of God's people. We need hearts that are so full that the Lord has to make our hearts bigger to contain it. That the Lord would come and pour out His blessing upon us. That that conviction wouldn't just be limited to when the Lord stirs in your heart in this service. But that same stirring, that same conviction would be ever-present in the life of believers. And so there's three things in particular I want to talk about, and we'll try to, to move through these things quickly. But there's, there's three things, though, here that, that I want to, to, to talk to you about. The first, there's something that we can gain in renewing this conviction in our hearts. There's something to be gained here. I see a lot of Christians struggle with consistency. Struggle, not just with spiritual things, but, but in everything. Most people that I meet in life, including most of y'all, we're all over the map. We have all sorts of things going on. We have all sorts of irons in the fire. We're here a little, there a little. We live in a culture that is so distracted that we're just constantly chasing squirrels. 
I mean, there's one after the other. We're, we're over here, then we see a squirrel run by, so we go over here, and we're just all over the map. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We're always on to the next thing. Never contented, never satisfied, finding drama, drama finding us, running here, running here, doing this, doing that. Did I describe any of you? I think I probably described all of us, if I'm being honest. What happens then is, is that that impacts our commitment to the Lord. Now, the, I'll just say, and I'm going to pick on this a little bit, so I don't mean to pick on this, but it's the place that I see it the, the easiest, is that we see this in our commitment to church. Now, the reason why I see this the easiest is because we all come here together and it's where I can, can see you. And so that's where we see it the most, is, is in our commitment to church. And so, so people are like little bottle rockets. We get on fire for the Lord for a little while. We have this fire welling up in our bones, welling up in our bellies, and so we, we take off like a bottle rocket. But then we get bogged down. Three weeks later, four weeks later, a month later, however long, we then get bogged down by whatever the next thing in life is that consumes us. And that bottle rocket goes boom, and all that's left behind is the debris that falls back to the ground. You ever seen people like that? You ever been people like that? Bottle rockets in Christianity. This is concerning to me. When I see folks like this, but they're not getting grounded all the way in, in, in what should be the principal things in the life of the believer. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He made clear, He set first the principal thing. Paul told this to the Colossians. He said that in all things, Jesus Christ might have the preeminence. That means that He would be first, and that He would be foremost. When I see people struggling with circumstances and situations in their life, my first question that I want to ask them is, how have you prioritized Jesus? And I don't mean how do you say you prioritize Jesus. I mean, if we look back at your life for the past year, how would your life show that you have prioritized Jesus? Has He had first place? Or has He just been moving in order against whatever else you had to do or had to chase in that moment? Your life will find you out. Your life will point to the reality of how you have felt about Jesus and whether or not you have given Him the preeminence. Now, I know the argument that normally comes with this when I talk to people about these things. They say, well, Derek, I, I, I do. I do give the Lord first place, but you just don't understand. I have all these things going on. I assure you that I do understand. I'll just speak to you openly and honestly today. <clears throat> it's hard. In a world filled with so much stuff going on all the time, to put the Lord first all the time, every time. You won't do it by accident. You won't do it just by haphazardness. If your heart is truly about the Lord, if you're desire for your life to truly reflect that the Lord has priority and preeminence over you, it will take you determining in your life to give Him that priority all the time. 
it's kind of unwritten in our house that the Lord's work has first place all the time. Every time. If we're wrestling with the decision about what we're going to do, it starts first with what's the impact of that from the Lord's work? What's the impact of that with regards to our walk with the Lord? And we'll make every other decision after we answer that question. I'll recommend that decision-making style to you. Ask first, what's the Lord's involvement here? How is this going to matter with regards to what should have first place? Let everything else work off that. It'll simplify your decision-making. Do you know that? I don't have to wrestle around a lot with a lot of decisions I make in life. Because I'm going to say, the Lord's not... This isn't allowing the Lord to have first place. I think sometimes I should be involved. We can make all the other decisions after that. You must truly submit yourself to the Lord and giving Him first place. Your... Let me say this, and this is going to be a little harsh. I'm not going to apologize for it, but I'll just give you the warning, curl your toes. Your excuses don't change the truth. Your excuses don't change the truth. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the fourth chapter, and this is reflected in New Testament teaching as well, in the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy, we see Moses, and, and he's given some instruction. He knows that he's not going to be able to go into the promised land. But nevertheless, he is giving some instruction unto the children of Israel before they would cross over. And he is telling them that they would hearken unto, that they would keep and remember the instruction, remember the promise that they had made with God. He said, don't forget the covenant. Don't forget the promise that you've made with the Lord. He said not to make them a graven image or something else that they can worship beside God because God had forbidden them. So what we see here is that the leader of the children of Israel is telling them, listen, I'm not going to be crossing over with you into the promised land. But when you go, don't forget the promise that you've made with God to worship anything else but Him. He said, remember that, the God, that God should have first place when you cross over into the promised land. He said, and don't forget this. And now what he said in, in, in wrapping up this instruction that he was giving... He says, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. That should cause our hearts to tremble. That the Lord thy God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. God is not contended to be anything but first place in your life. He's a jealous God. He said, don't make anything that looks like me that you might worship instead of me. And he said, and don't worship any idols. He said, remember my day and watch your words. Watch how you talk about me. Those were the first four commandments that were given. Do you remember that? Over in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. Those were the first four commandments that were given. They were the first tablets of commandments given to the children of Israel. And Moses saying, don't forget that. Don't forget that because the Lord thy God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. And He's a God who must have first place in our lives. I pray that God would spark in us a renewed fire for the Lord. Maybe you have had coals in your heart that 
that it is almost burnt out, but you look in there and you still see that that little red, that little orange still glowing in those coals. I pray that God would rekindle that fire in our hearts. We need God's people to be activated in the conviction and purpose of our hearts for the glory of the Lord. We need that here as a church. We need that individually in this world. We need that when situations happen, that God's people are so purposed in their hearts that they don't mind telling others about the glory of Jesus Christ and about the gospel message that is the hope for the world. That when there are situations that take place, that they can go into their workplace and they can be the ones that declare, yes, we know that evil exists, but be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. We need a conviction and a purpose in our hearts to be able to do those things. We need those things here at Faith Church. We have roles that are going unfilled or underfilled. What I mean by underfilled, I mean they're not getting the attention that they deserve. Listen, may the Lord have true first place in our lives. Because what we can gain from that isn't just in this generation, but it's in the generations to come. Romans chapter 12, first two verses, we're told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means that we're to live lives that are lived in sacrifice unto the Lord. That we are no longer living underneath our own, on our own behalf, but we are living for the Lord, and we are living sacrifices then that are presenting ourselves to the Lord. But then we're told how we are to present ourselves. That we are to present ourselves holy and acceptable. So here's a test for yourself. To test the conviction and purpose that is in your heart. If the Lord was to look at your life as a living sacrifice, would He find it holy and acceptable? You'll have to answer that on your own. How do we regain this conviction? How, how do we regain this? I've seen some of you show this conviction before. I've seen some of you living with this conviction now. How do we maintain that? How do we regain it if it's been lost? First and foremost is what we've already read. That except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. What I am not calling, listen to me today, Faith Church, what I am not calling you to, to today, you today to, is for more effort. That's not what I'm calling us to. I've been in those stages in my life where I heard a message like this and I think, all right, I'm going to give a little more effort. But you know what happens? Eventually that effort gets really hard to give. And a month later, two months later, I'm that bottle rocket that has went boom and the breeze fell back to the earth. So what I am not calling us to is to increase effort alone. I am instead calling to us that there would be a conviction that would be sparked in our hearts. And that's going to take place with the Lord. That's going to take place on our knees in prayer, desiring after Him to rekindle what has gone out in our hearts, to rekindle that fire that has been there. Maybe it's just been subdued. Whatever it is in your individual circumstances, it's going to be a Lord work, a God work that would take place in your heart to rekindle that. One time, the book of Acts, when it's over the fourth chapter, just after the day of Pentecost, they have been preaching in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Peter and John there, they've been preaching. And not only have they been preaching, but they had actually healed a lame man. There was one that, that was paralyzed, couldn't walk, and they had healed him. And he was made to walk. Well, Sanhedrin gets word of this, and of course they're all concerned that it's going to cause another uprising. You know, Jesus had, had just been crucified not 
I don't know, 50 days before, something like that. And so they were worried that there was going to be another uprising. And so they grabbed Peter and John and they had apprehended them and were desiring to put them in prison. And so they were asking them and telling and asking one another, what should we do about these things? We, we can't just allow these things to be so, but we can't deny what they're doing because that man who was paralyzed is standing here now. And so the Sanhedrin, this council asked, what should we do? And so what they did, they called Peter and John before the council. And they scolded them and instructed them not to speak any more of this Jesus Christ. And do you know what their response was? Peter and John said to them, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. If there's going to be a conviction regained in our hearts, it is going to not be because we saturate our lives with the things of the Lord. That you cannot help but speak the things of the Lord. You cannot help but speak the things that you have seen and heard. And if all that you see and all that you hear is worldliness and ungodliness, that's going to match what you're saying and doing. Some of you, man, going to places here I didn't expect to go. We'll follow the Lord. I'll use myself as an example. I remember when I was a younger man, I would find myself in different situations with different groups of people. I spent a summer working construction with the construction company my dad worked for. And you get out there on a job site with a bunch of hard hats, lunch pail kind of guys. You've probably been around some of those folks before, and you'll know that they don't have the straightest of language all the time, do they? They use some words that would make us all blush. Well, they ought to make us all blush anyway. I'd get there on that job site before long, all of a sudden, it'd be easy to sneak in one of those words, wouldn't it? Why? Because you've filled yourself with that language. And all of a sudden, if that's what you're filled with all the time, it becomes a lot easier for you to be speaking and saying and doing the things that you are hearing and seeing being done. And so we must continuously saturate our life, not with the worldliness and filth that we see in society today, but instead to guard our heart against those things and be saturated instead with the good things of the Lord. Do you see that? Listen, if you are, are, are struggling with the sin of filthy communication, that's what the New Testament calls it, struggling with the sin of, of, of cursing, of using those four-letter words. and I, Someone here is struggling with this, I promise you. If you're struggling with that, the best thing that you can do is refrain yourself to separate yourself from the people and places where you're hearing that language used. And when you do that, when you separate yourself from those places and instead saturate yourself with good things and goodness and the Word of God and the people of God, you will find that that language is far removed from you. And you have a renewed ability to guard your heart. You see what this looks like? This is how we regain this purpose and how we regain this conviction. We need lives that are consumed not by this age of worldliness, but by the Lord and by His Word. Alright, one, one more thing that I want to get to. Actually, let me say one more thing. We, we studied not too long ago on Wednesday nights about, about Daniel. We went through the book of Daniel. You remember what Daniel said there in the first chapter of the book of Daniel? He's taken into Babylonian captivity. 
and he's being placed in, in places where he's eating of the king's meat and the, he's taking of the king's food and has all the, the king's blessings surrounding him as he's been taken into captivity in Babylon. And you know what, he, what happened, what he did? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And I want to call special attention to that word. That's the word Daniel used. That he would not defile himself with Babylonian worldliness. He said, if I engage in the king's meat, if I engage in the things that these Babylonians are doing, he said, I'm going to defile myself. I'm going to become unclean. He did not say I shouldn't do these things because they're not right, or I shouldn't do these things because God despises them. He looked at them and he said, if I do these things, I am guilty myself. I am defiling myself. I am making myself unclean. So what Daniel did instead is that he purposed in his heart that he would not eat of the king's meat. He purposed in his heart that he would not engage in Babylonian worldliness. I am calling you today, believer, I am calling you today, faith church, to purpose in your heart that you will not engage in 2022 worldliness, but instead that you would saturate yourself with the things of God. Lastly, what's the big deal about this anyway? What's the big deal? Why why is all this so important? Outside of the glory of the Lord, what's this look like today? If our hearts are rekindled with the passion, the purpose, the conviction of the Lord. We need sold out believers to be effective as a church. We met last Sunday night as a church and we talked about a vision from five to ten years down the road. What might it look like if we were building a new house of worship out here behind our current building? What would it look like for us to expand the parking lot? All these good things, exciting things to be talking about as a church. Those things will not happen if the believers that make up faith church are not sold out to the Lord and His cause. That you just fully give yourself to Him. We won't have the unity to do it. We won't have the people to do it. We won't have the strength to do it unless each of us are fully willing in doing so by the purpose of the Lord, by the Lord's help, to submit ourselves unto God. A bunch of half-interested, half-involved church members is going to produce a half-interested, half-involved church. God's desire is for His people to be all in, all the time. All in, all the time. And it's always been that way. When Jesus called those fishermen to follow Him, He didn't say, when you get done fishing, meet me around the block. I'm going to go show you how to be fishers of men. He said, leave your nets. Follow me. It's always been that way. But even more, this is a matter of the Gospel. Listen to what Paul told the Romans. Familiar Scriptures probably. Said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall be shall live by faith. 
This purpose that I'm talking about, this conviction that I'm talking about, that the reason why it's so important, the reason why there's a big, why I'm making a big deal about this today is because ultimately this is a gospel matter. This matters in how we carry the words of life, the words of hope to those that are around us. You have lost family members that I've heard you request prayer for. You have lost loved ones and friends and neighbors that I've heard you request prayer for. Listen to me. Our hope of being able to reach those people with the gospel is that there would be a conviction in our hearts that leads us and, and causes us a purpose and a desire and a passion to share the gospel. This is a gospel matter that's why it's so important today your witness i said this in, in the lesson that my brother jeff's been going through in sunday school but your witness is diminished when your life betrays the gospel that you are witnessing you can't say listen i really want you to come to church with me i want you to be saved meanwhile monday through saturday your life's so filled with worldliness that you don't look any different and the rest of the sinners of the world. Your life betrays you when you do that. So I call you today, as I try to close, I call you today to examine yourselves. To truly, truly look inwardly and examine yourselves. Yesterday, we went to the parade downtown and there was a street preacher that was going around preaching. I was kind of watching him and looking at him and I was kind of watching everybody else's reaction to him and everybody kind of had the same reaction of what's this guy doing? Why is he doing this? And at first I was kind of looking at him and I was thinking, you know, does this make it harder to, to truly reach people with the gospel? And then what I recalled was some videos that Brother Jeff Elliott sent me earlier this week and Brother Jeff had been down in Jamaica and he had been down there with Brother Jones and uh, Brother Tom Alande and some others, and he had showed, sent me some videos from some street preaching that was going on down in Jamaica. Sent me some pictures of people that were bowed down seeking the Lord on the side of the street in Jamaica as these brothers were being filled by the, by the Holy Spirit and led by God to preach there on the street corners. Brother Tom Alande standing up in the back of a truck preaching in a market in Jamaica. A man from Africa preaching to men in Jamaica of their need to be saved. And I thought, why is that one thing that we look at and we say praise God and bless God for what He's doing, yet this man standing on the circle in downtown Indianapolis was preaching and instead our eyes and our attitudes would be somewhere else altogether. I don't know what that man believed. I couldn't hardly hear what he was saying most of the time, but I'll say this, I admire the conviction of his heart. He said, I cannot help but tell people about the gospel of Jesus. Examine yourself. Ask others in your life to examine you. And not people in your life that are going to say what you want them to say, but ask other people in your life to, to help you examine your life. To help look to you. Because sometimes we look at ourselves inwardly and we can make all the justification around the things that we do and the decisions we make and, and how we're living as a result of that, we can look inwardly and we can say, this isn't so bad. So ask somebody to help you that can provide you that outside perspective to help you look and to examine yourself. I need good people in my life to help me do that, to keep me accountable. Listen, I'm 35 years old. My mother still does this for me to this day. 
she'll hear something I'm doing, some job I'm going to take, or whatever I'm going to be doing, and she'll say, well, Derek, are you sure you should be doing that? Have you really prayed about that? She challenges me. That's good. We need good, godly people in our lives to challenge us in this area. To be willing to come to you and say, you know, when you first got saved, there was a spark in your life where I saw your desire and your passion for the Lord. But it seems as time has gone on that what's taken place is you've that's been diminished and gotten lower and lower. And now it just seems like you're going through the motions. What's happening? What's going on? We need good people in our lives, good godly men and women to come to us and ask us those questions. So ask somebody near you to help you examine yourself. But more than anything else, you need the help of the Lord. If you go to Him and ask Him, Lord, I don't know what's happened, but I just don't feel as close to You as I used to. I don't have that same conviction in my heart, that same purpose in my heart that I did once before. I want you to know that He will help you and He'll show you the answer. The Lord's faithful to do that. He will show us the answer. I want to challenge you on that though. When the Lord shows you the answer and you don't like the answer, don't go looking for another answer. The Lord's answer is the Lord's answer. And you need to respond to what He shows to you, what He reveals to you. So examine yourself. We have a lot of big things here coming up on the horizon. We have Lord's Supper next Sunday. We go into revival next Sunday. We got a summer filled with all sorts of fun things with the fair parade and, and VBS and all these things that are coming up. We talked about these five to ten year things that we're looking at. Faith Church, I want you to know we will not get to any of those without the conviction of the Lord. Without our hearts stirring in a passion and a desire for the Lord. May God provide His people with conviction. Oh God, today, set Your people on fire. Wouldn't that be something? It'd be just like the Lord to do it. He's a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire then. He's a consuming fire now. I pray that God will consume us and set our hearts on fire. Brother Jeff, if you wouldn't mind getting a song, I want to give you a chance to respond to the message today. The Lord is stirring in your heart in some way. You feel the need to examine yourself on the altar. I want to give you opportunity and occasion to do that. But I pray that God would truly and sincerely stir you it's my prayer that we would not be satisfied going through the motions of church. And if that's what you feel like you've been doing, you're just going through the motions, you need to be on your face seeking the Lord. I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with just doing the routine things. This is what we've always done. And maybe once or twice a year, you'll feel the Lord's presence move on you in such a way that you're led to testify, or you're led to sing a song or something like that. Listen, those things could be every Sunday. When God's people are so filled up with the Holy Spirit, He comes and He meets with them. And He reveals Himself to us and He moves upon us. We have lost neighbors we want to be see saved. We have lost children here today that we want to see saved. Where is your conviction and passion and desire for them? May God restore to us that burning conviction, that burning passion, that burning purpose in our hearts and desire for the glory of the Lord. Let's stay and let's sing.